Hey everybody, you're listening to the Jimmy's Table podcast, jimmystable.com. I am your host, Jimmy Humphrey, where I like to have conversations about faith, life, culture, and sometimes food. Today is episode 19, where I'm going to talk about uh, family. But before I get into anything too serious, because it'll be a bit serious today, uh, I want to sing a little song, because, you know, that's what I do spontaneously every now and then. I, I just have a song in my heart, and i got to let that song out. And that song goes something like this. We are family. Got all my sisters with me. We are family. Get up, everybody, and sing. I know you guys love it. You know, I, I was talking recently to my boy, uh, John Howie, up in Canada on his podcast, uh, The Wax Museum. Check it out, episode 49. Uh, and he, he briefly talks about uh, how he's saying happy birthday to myself in one of my previous episodes a couple weeks ago. So <laughs> I thought I would just point that out real quick before we get into anything. So uh, hope you enjoyed my singing. I did warn you it was coming. Um, and, uh, it's something my wife wishes I would do a little bit less of, but like I say, I got a song in my heart and that song just has to get out. My wife wishes it would stay in, especially since it sounds so terrible and bad, but it's okay to be a deliberately bad singer, isn't it? Uh, I, I I'm naturally not a talented singer, so I just like, okay, if I'm going to sing badly, I got to sing badly. <laughs> Anyway, uh, moving along. Um, you know, if you saw the title of today's podcast for episode 19, it's called Why the Church Should Not Focus on the Family, with focus on the family being in quotes, uh, which is, you know, a deliberate nod to uh, James Dobson and his ministry and organization called Focus on the Family. Well, Let's let's a little background first. Family is fantastic. We know this, generally speaking, most of us know this. Uh, that family is fantastic, both because you know we we have seen it in our own lives and experienced it. Most of us, I would say, probably came from pretty well-adjusted families. I, I know not everybody has, um, but uh, I'd say most of us, you know, have have benefited immensely from family. Uh, we, we, we experienced it and we've, uh, not only experienced it, but we've seen the experience other people have had with their families. And we think, man, family is fantastic. Uh, family seems to be the cornerstone of all civilization before there were governments, um, before there were all the things that we have in modern and ancient society and, and, and on the written record, uh, there were families, um, families help nurture us. They help grow us up. They help equip us for life in the world. Uh, they help us to survive and they help us to raise up the next generation of families that will keep this circle of life thing, uh, going there. And, and no, I'm not going to bust out into uh, a Lion King tribute here. Although not to lie, the temptation is amazing. <laughs> Would you guys like me to sing the Lion King? No, I, I won't. I won't. I won't go there, circle of life. Uh, anyway, so family is fantastic. And we know this not only from common experience and seeing it commonly in the experience of others. But, uh, you know, if uh, you're a Christian and you read the Bible, you see that 
Uh, family is something uh, that is important, both in New and Old Testaments. Um, but, you know, we also see families not without a great deal of uh, tragedy. We see that families can be often a sticky and difficult and complicated thing. Um, not only, you know, with Adam and Eve, uh, the first family, you know, also having the first uh, murder in the family. Uh, so they had that going for them. Um, but, uh, you know, we see the ex- exaltation of the importance of the family um, in Scripture. The, the Scriptures, you know, emphasize that families are awesome. Um, that they're good, that they're given to us by God as a gift. Um, and we see things like, you know, the book of Proverbs, which is written kind of as a, a uh, father ha- to handing down some practical worldly wisdom uh, to his son about how to navigate the complexities of this life with a little bit of wisdom uh, so that you can not only get on uh, with spiritual things, but that you can get on with practical things and how these two things ultimately meet together in flesh and blood and here in the real life and the real world. Um, so, you know, you have that perspective of the book of Proverbs, which is written entirely as if it's a, it's a family uh, heirloom <laughs> being passed on from one generation uh, to the next. And then you have books in the New Testament, like Ephesians and Colossians, which have chapters dedicated to providing uh, instructions on family dynamics and how husbands and wives and children should all love and relate to one another and uh, how to do that in a Christian context, how you should behave as a husband, as a Christian, as a wife, as a Christian, as a child, as a Christian, um, and just all the interplay that's involved there. Of course, there's a lot of controversy in that, but we're not going to wed and we're not going to uh, way out into that topic today, uh, maybe another episode. So we also see that the family is something that is also important uh, to the life of the church. The Apostle Paul instructs Timothy and Titus in their appointment of elders to the church, um, an appointment of ministers to the church, that candidates being considered for uh, ministry within the church should be individuals who ultimately know how to manage their households and to do it well. Because the basic logic behind that uh, in regard to ministry, that if you can't manage your own affairs and you can't manage your own household, um, then how in the world are you going to manage the church of Jesus Christ? And that was Paul's logic. And I think that's uh, something we should definitely consider. Kind of on a side note here, I just want to toss this out uh, because I think it's been something that has been a little bit forgotten and sometimes deliberately so. But you have a lot of popular ministers these days who experience a fall, you know, when it comes to divorce and um, adultery and things that just overall destroy marriages and families. And you have these individuals, um, some of them very popular. I don't, I don't think I even need to mention their names. You, you can figure it out for yourself if you want. But you have various ministers who have these issues going on in their own lives. And then within six months or a year, um, they're back up in the pulpit and they're back to pastoring. And they're back to full-time life vocational ministry. Uh, even though you know they're, 
the ink is just drying on the divorce papers uh, and they still have uh, a wife out there who is very angry at them and they're going to go out there and try to reconcile the world to Jesus when they can't even reconcile uh, their own spouse uh, in their household. Such men should not be ministers. But hey, I'm just tossing that out there for free. What do I know? Um, so anyway, that's just a side note. Uh, let, let me press on to what I really want to talk about um, today. You know, the Church of Jesus Christ, we, we think of it, um, and we think of it, I think, primarily in these days as a large sort of corporate institution full of liturgies and rituals and uh, organizational leadership and employees and staff and business and all that sort of stuff. Well, if I, when I say the church, the words the church, and you instantly think of a pyramid and an organizational chart um, and departments and ministries and all that sort of fun stuff, you have, I believe in my heart, a, a, a perverted and terrible understanding of what the church is um and the church you know may have those things without a doubt uh there there are organizational things to consider there are corporate business things to talk about uh when you're talking about the church because anytime money is in the equation you have to figure out how to organize that and administer that and deploy it and invest with it so anyway however if you're thinking of the church primarily in those terms your thinking is off the primary way we as Christians are to think about the church is as according to Galatians 6 verse 10 and elsewhere in the Bible is that of the household of faith. The household of faith. And I think that's an important concept because we, I, I see it as something that's kind of tied to the idea of family. Um, the church is ultimately, it may have institutional aspects to its dynamics, just as families even have institutional uh, aspects to their dynamics and business aspects to their, their, their life. However, if we think of the church primarily as that, we're missing it. an important thing about the life of the church that I believe God ultimately has for us. And we need to ultimately approach the church not as an institution, but as a household, as a family of faith complete with individuals that we are to think of as spiritual fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. As people who we are related to through Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross as reconciling us together and making us all one giant household for all who believe and call on his name. And if we think about that, it really shouldn't be a surprise to us that when we read things like the book of Acts, you read the book of Acts and you see Christians relating to one another as if they were actually family. They gathered together, the book of Acts says, daily, just like you know you do with your family. And they met house to house, breaking bread and sharing common meals together. They didn't necessarily have some sort of common ancestry, although, you know, many of them were, you know, Jewish by birth, and so they had, you know, that entire thing uh, going to, 
before them. <laughs> you know, there was maybe perhaps some bloodlines together. But you also see individuals who had no bloodline whatsoever together as sitting down, having a common meal together, breaking bread daily, and incorporating those individuals into the regular comings and goings of their daily life. And why not? The common family lineage that they really ultimately have together, even if there is no you know, mother and father, biologically speaking, uh, that they can ultimately point back and relate to uh, in regard to one another, is they have a family lineage through God, our Father, <laughs> our Heavenly Father. And together we share in the blood of Jesus Christ, in His, in his body, in His flesh. And from such, the early church, they truly recognized each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I, I find that so powerful um, and they and they really thought of each other as such. They truly went around calling each other brother and sister so-and-so and thinking of each other in relation to a family sort of dynamic um, that they had together because of Jesus Christ and because of our common Heavenly Father. But, you know, I believe that um, we've kind of got a little backwards these days. I think there's... A little bit of a moving away from this, uh, and and especially in our evangelical Christian circles, um, that uh, because of our idolatry of our family nuclear family units that we have, you know, of a mother and a father with three point five children who live in a suburban house with a white picket fence and a dog named Spot, um, you know. We've, we've allowed that to be our primary focus in our lives, our families. And they've kind of become this sort of idol that dictates in our culture pretty much everything. And that bleeds over into the church. And as a result, you know, churches feel these pressures from our society's view of the primacy of family uh, in our lives. And we often, as a result, sort of make the church and our image in regard to those family structures. Um, and the church is realizing this, you know, realize, hey, we're not going to get people in our doors and we're not going to be able to minister to people. We're not going to be able to, to reach the genera next generation for Christ unless we have these really powerful youth ministries that cater to the whims and desires of soccer moms and dads who, you know, just want nothing more than to... Uh, you know, sacrifice everything they can so that their children can have better lives than they have and so that they can fulfill the American dream. And so churches, realizing this, will pour large sums of their budgets into things like youth ministry um, because they know if they don't, <laughs> they know the family that has kids is going to take their business elsewhere and they're going to find the church down the street that has the better hot youth ministry that everybody loves and that they can drop their kids off and, you know, expect great things from. In our churches, they, in ministries, <laughs> they, they often have words like family in them. I, I remember 
the first church I ever belonged to, which was a church plant in Huntersville, North Carolina, uh, went by the name of Family Christian Center. And it had big dreams for itself. And, you know, no doubt the, the, the pastor who was planning that church, you know, definitely was a visionary and aspirational sort of leader who wanted to do big things and grow a big church. And he thought, you know, if he named the church Family Christian Center, my guess is he thought that, uh, hey, people love nothing more than family, so why shouldn't we just go ahead and bow before that? Um, and make our church just nothing but about the family. And, you know, we have historically, especially in evangelical circles, we've, we've kind of given this into this too. In fact, James Dobson <laughs> had a very popular, and I'm not sure if it's still popular, I don't hear about it as much, but uh, you hear about it, you used to hear about it a lot, um, but the, the entire focus on the family uh, ministry you know, the church was all about the family and, and he, his organization, you know, did a lot of focus on doing things so you could be a better father, so you could be a better mother, so that you could have better Christ following children and so they could grow up and be the next great thing uh, and repeat the process all over again. And you have thing you have had we've had things like women of faith and and promise keepers, which you know while they catered specifically to women or men, you know even though they were about women and men generally speaking, but specifically when you really got into the nuts and bolts of women of faith and and promise keepers, it was really all about how to be a better mother and father for your children. And so all of our ministries and all of our churches have ultimately focused on this sort of nuclear family unit and catering to the needs of fathers and mothers and successful, thriving families uh, where all your children are leave-it-to-beaver-wally-type kids uh, and they grow up just grand and successful and prosperous and be everything that they can be. Um, and this mindset has you know, not only impacted the church, but uh, church in its relationship to politics. Um, you've often heard it championed by very conservative groups that try to promote in politicians running on a family values agenda. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> you know, it, it, it's bled over into the church and it's... Uh, our church has bled over into the culture so that the church is no longer just the church and about doing the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it's ultimately a family-focused thing that, you know, when it comes to the world of politics, what are we going to focus on except, well, who can marry who and who can pee where? And, you know, I'm not saying that they were wrong in doing any of these things or that they were even necessarily wrong in any of their uh, criticisms and, and campaigns and crusades and, and stuff. You know, I, th I think they got a little off, but, uh, you know, I think there's been a lot of good done by such organizations and ministries and churches and uh, that sort of stuff. So don't get me wrong. I have no problem with our specialized ministries that focus on family stuff. You know, those are areas that we can minister to people at. People definitely need ministry in those arenas. Um, we do need to have men who know what it is to be a man and a father and to do it from a Christian perspective and the same for mothers and the same for our youth and children and, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff. I, I get it. I get it. 
However, I, I kind of wonder, though, if we haven't gotten a little carried away and we haven't morphed the family unit into this, this nuclear family unit in America into this sort of idol. How would we feel if we kind of engaged or if there was a church out there that engaged in like the, the Moravians, which I talked about uh, a number of episodes ago, the, the Moravians, when they settled in America uh, in the, the mid-1700s, you know, they, they settled as a kind of communal society, uh, as a church, and they wanted to live in a communal society as Christians. And part of that was when your, when your children got of a certain age, uh, in their early teenage years, they would move your sons and daughters into uh, little, uh, I, I would call them frat houses, <laughs> uh, sororities and fraternities uh, and stuff like that. They called them, um, what did they call them? They called them, um, they called them a chorus. There you go. They called them a chorus and they would move all the, the, the youth into these little choruses or these little choirs. There we go. That's the word. They moved them into these little choirs, uh, a boy's choir and a girl's choir. And they did boy things together and they did girl things together. And they did that apart from living every day with mom and dad because to that society and to that church, it was more important that they grew up uh, prepared to fulfill their Christian duties um, as a contributing member of that society than it was uh, to grow up um, attached at the hip to mom and dad and having this long, you know, deep connection with them. How would we, how would we think of such a thing if such a thing were to happen in American society today? We'd probably say such people, you've joined a cult. You need to, you need to get out. These people are trying to separate you from your mom and your dad. And, and look, this is a cult. You're a bunch of Kool-Aid drinkers. And you know, this is, this is ungodly and, and unconscionable. Uh, you know, and, and we do these things and we say these things and we have this, these mentalities about the nuclear family unit. But I, especially in the church, we, we've you know, adapted it. And I think it's something that's ultimately worldly, if I might use the term, worldly in perspective. Um, and I can't help wonder, what does this do to people in the church or looking to become a part of the church who aren't part of of a nuclear family unit and as a nuclear family unit joining together in that congregation. What about those who aren't part of that? What about those who are single or those who are single moms or dads? What about those who are divorced? What about widows? What, what about those struggling with same sex attractions? How do we minister as a church to those people when we're so caught up in the nuclear family unit and as a church catering and ministering to primarily those individuals? Well, you know, I know from my personal experience when I was a single, uh, I had a very long period in my life and uh, longer than most perhaps in which I was single and didn't get married. And I really, did. I had some, at some points, a lot of dates, <laughs> um, but uh you know, for the most part, most of my 20-something Christian life was involved in a long period of being single and not dating. But being involved in the life and ministry of the church. Um, and, you know, even as great as the church I went to was, and as great as the singles ministry in that church was, uh, in comparison to other churches in the area, 
um, you know, there was still this very real sense in which this church, as great as it was, and don't get me wrong, it was good, um, still ultimately catered to the whims and desires of uh, the family unit above all costs. And if you were to look at the church budget and see how much that money they had dedicated to youth ministry and family ministries and things of that nature, and then look at what they were allotting for the singles and everybody else who didn't fit into that neat little category, you would see a huge disparity between the, the funds that were available for one versus the ones uh, versus the funds that were available for the singles. It was huge, and we struggled, and I was involved with the singles ministry at that church. We struggled to do some of the things that we wanted to do because the church just wasn't making the budget for it, uh, especially in comparison to the youth. Yet, when we looked at statistics, not only of our church, but you know society in general and the church in general, we found that in the church, roughly about 40% of the congregation was made of people who could be classified as single, divorced, or widowed. Yet, not a lot of attention was given to them because, well, you know, in order to, to have a thriving organization, you, you've got to cater to, to mom and dad and their 3.5 children and their dog. Uh, in fact, the one minister, you know, I loved him there. He was great, uh, but he even went so far as there was this one time somebody in the congregation who was single, who, whose dog died. And that, that dog was so important to that individual, uh, the minister went and, uh, you know, preached the funeral for the dog. <laughs> so it, it's interesting to see how much those things in our uh, churches, those, how, how much uh, the, the sense of family and the nuclear family and the ideals that re it represent could have a uh, saying on what happens in the church. But, you know, how do, how do we, how do we, how do we handle these things? How do they, f how do, how do these groups, these categories, these people that aren't the single, or how, how do these people who aren't married and don't have kids and, and all that sort of stuff, how do they fit in the life of the church in which the traditional nuclear family dominates everything we do. You know, I even think about that from my perspective, because uh, my wife and I, we haven't had kids yet, and, and, you know, we're hoping to, and Lord willing, we will. But even as uh, a married couple, you know, even as a married couple, we find sometimes things difficult uh, to do in our church uh, because we don't have kids, you know? And even though, you know, we, we've climbed the corporate ladder at the church as far as we're not in the singles category anymore, and so we have a little more, you know, social clout and standing in the, the church, you know? But, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're kind of left out of some stuff. Not to say we're not well-connected and don't have many great friends and, and stuff like that at the church, but, you know, um, at the end of the day, it's still all about the nuclear family unit and everything that is involved with that. And I think because of this kind of idolizing of the nuclear family unit uh, in our society and church, there's a very real sense that that threatens, I think, the, the spiritual nature um, that we're supposed to have the spiritual family that Jesus gave us, the, the household of faith in which we as Christians are to relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. But, you know, that's becoming more and more a thing 
of the past. And if you were to go to some churches today and say, oh, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, there would be a great deal of awkwardness over that sort of thing. Because we would say, whoa, whoa, wait a second. We're not really, let's just be clear, we're not really family here. This is more of a country club thing. This is a place where we come to bring our children, to have a good time, to hear some things about Jesus, and to sing a few songs, maybe to play some some games. But, you know, we need to be careful here because there's really no way in which you and I have any real relationship to. We're, we're, we're more so just, you know, we might as well be at Target or Starbucks or Gymboree or or the YMCA, or, or what have you. Uh, this might as well be Chuck E. Cheese. So just slow down this kind of household family, brothers and sisters sort of thinking. So I, I think, though, that this, is, this is where we need to start really allowing the, the, the gospel to, to minister to our culture and to, to minister to our church. And we kind of need to to bring up some teachings of Jesus and the apostles. I know, crazy to talk about in, in church and, and Christian settings, to talk about the gospel and the teachings of the apostles and, and really about the mentality that we're supposed to have um, in our relationship to one another. We're not just friends hanging out. We're not just you know these people who have a common country club in common called the church. Um, but there's supposed to be a very real sense in which you and I, um, as Christians, should think of each other as brothers and sisters. And that thinking of each other as brothers and sisters in faith and through Christ, you know, should be something that I think even gets prioritized over that of the nuclear family unit. Um, And far from making our earthly families as important as those earthly families are, as the center of our lives, there should be a very real sense in which our bonds with our spiritual family uh, can be equal to or greater than those who we are biologically related to. And I would go so far as to say, if you aren't closer to some folks in the church than you are your own kin, you aren't approaching the church as you ought. And you aren't doing life in the church right so what exactly did jesus say on this topic well you can find a number of things in the gospel but a couple things i like to point to was what jesus said in matthew chapter 10 verses 34 through 39 where he says do not think that i have came to come to bring peace to the earth i did not come to bring peace but a sword for i came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Not that that was probably ever a problem. <laughs> uh, and a man's enemies, Jesus said, will be the members of his own household. And he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me and he who has found his life will lose it and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it you know i find that amazing that jesus would close out his little teaching there on family and talk about the cross and about how the cross was ultimately this thing that was going to have to come in between the bonds 
of family and that the bonds of family would ultimately have to be taken to the cross and crucified along with him. That those biological imprints that we all have that connect us all together as powerful as they can be. You know, I I believe even Jesus was recognizing in his day that those can be an idol and those are things that ultimately need to be put to death and to crucified. Now, that's not to say that family is still not important. Again, the New Testament makes that clear elsewhere, uh, not only in the Gospels, but uh, the writings of the apostles. However, with that said, there is this unhealthy idolatry that our biological families can often distort the thing that God has for this world. And the thing that God has for this world is the kingdom of God which ultimately trumps our family relations. And the kingdom of God is the cornerstone of the society of the world that Jesus Christ is building and not the family unit. In fact, in the new heavens and the new earth that Jesus is forming, there will be no biological families that make up the cornerstone of that civilization that Jesus is building in the kingdom of God. So for all the great things we want to do as Christians and all the great things that the kingdom of God can bring to our families and make our family lives better and richer and fuller and deeper um, and beautiful even, you know, there is still very much a real sense in which the cross needs to be brought to our family units. And that's why Jesus could skip over if you skipped over in Matthew chapter 12, where when Jesus, it says, Matthew chapter 12, verses uh, 46 through 50 says, And while he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside, seeking to speak to him. And someone said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands to his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. And I think if we as Christians are to be what God has ultimately called us to be, and if we as the church are to be the the kingdom that God has ultimately called us to, to be, yes, families are important and we should minister to our families and we should put great emphasis on the health of those families but don't get too attached because they're not gonna be around forever (laughs) they're not and so yes love your family love your wife love your husband love your children sacrifice for them Um, do everything you can for them within your power however don't make an idol out of it. Don't allow the family to distort the things that are really truly important. And don't let the family take over the life of the church so that it makes it impossible for us to minister to singles and to the widows and to the divorced and to those who are struggling with same-sex attractions and those who may become from broken homes and have no families because everybody has either died or forsaken them or they're an orphan or, or what have you. 
allow the spiritual bonds that God has put together for us in Christ, whose blood we share, whose blood covers us and runs through us, allow that to unite us. Allow the Spirit of God to make us a family so that we can transcend just our mere biology. Allow that love to dominate our hearts. Because frankly, if, if, if the, the family becomes an idol and you take it too far, families grow into tribes and tribes grow into warring factions. And warring factions become things that destroy this world if we're not careful. And they destroy, you know, some churches too. You know, you know what it's like to go to a church that's been around for three or four generations and they can say, well, I'm third or fourth generation, this, that, or the other at the church. I remember when I was uh, involved in a certain Pentecostal denomination, the, the Church of God, you know, you had people who could say uh, proudly, well, I'm third generation Pentecostal or I'm fourth generation Pentecostal. Therefore, my opinion, my status, my this, that, or the other matters more than you, you Johnny come lately, you who were not raised in this, this, this church. <laughs> Um, and they use their family status, their blood, to separate and make distinctions among themselves as to who was or was not important and whose opinion did or did not matter in that church and in, in that denomination. And that is contrary to the Spirit of God. And that is not, and anything that's contrary to the Spirit of God is not very Pentecostal, <laughs> if I might be so bold as to say that myself. And it's not very Christian either, for that matter. Um, and it's something that has allowed for a distortion uh, in those denominations. And not just to pick on the Church of God, even though I, you know maybe I could do that all day. Uh, but that, that happens in other churches, too, where all of a sudden you have... Uh, you know, pastors raising up their sons and thinking, hey, you know, I should give my kid the family business. And I was the pastor here. So, you know, a little nepotism would be great around here. And so, you know, uh, he, my son should inherit my ministry and things of that nature. That, again, is nothing but a distortion in which the family of man and our biological connections are trumping uh, the life that God would have for the church. We should, according to the Apostle Paul, know no one according to the flesh. Yet, at the end of the day, we relish in our flesh. And and not just like in the worldly, carnal, sensual sort of stuff of you know, drugs, sex, and rock and roll, but even in our connections to one another and how that plays out into the dynamics of the household of faith and the family of God. And we need to crucify those things just like Jesus said. So everybody, this is Jimmy, episode 19, Jimmy's Table podcast. You can reach me at jimmystable.com or you can email me at jimmy at jimmystable.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you may be listening to it, either through the website or you can find it on Apple. You can find it on Stitcher, Spotify, Google, uh, and a host of other places. I'm also available on Facebook. I'm available on Twitter. And if you know me and live with me in the area in Charlotte, 
uh, hit me up for some coffee, hit me up for some barbecue. Let's have a conversation. Uh, I'd love nothing more. Hope you all have a good day. Take care and uh, be blessed.